Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, have you ever thought about how we got to this point right here? The uh, shot glasses with grapefruit juice or, or grape juice in it and the little squares of bread. Have you ever thought about how we got there? Is this how it's always been? Uh, when we talk about communion, um, like I, when, when I grew up in a pretty traditional church, I'm a recovering Baptist myself. And so like when I grew up in, in this church, um, we had these little square pieces of bread. They were flat. They were hard. They were stale. I don't know if they were supposed to be stale or if the person that was doing communion last time forgot to ziplock the bag closed and they were just open, but that's what it tastes like. And so, like, the bread, it really didn't taste that good. And the grapefruit juice, or the grape juice, I'm sorry, it was just, like, it was just off-brand that, I, you know, it just was bitter and sour and, and didn't do right. And I was like, man, is this... What is this? What are, what are we doing? What are we doing here? And I, I can remember uh, Revo, the way we do it, we, we would break some bread, cut some bread up, and use grapefruit juice. And then about two or three communions in, uh, when Revo started uh, about six years ago, we had an email sent to us. And there was a lady that, that she knew communion was coming up. And so this lady sent uh, our, our uh, info at Discover Revo. She sent us an email and said, uh, what do you have for people that uh, have a gluten allergy? That's what I did, right? <laughs> oh, man. And so our office manager forwarded me this. Thankfully, someone with a higher mercy score than myself answers those emails because I would have been like, why don't you just get over it, <laughs> all right? Like, if you eat enough gluten, you won't have an allergy anymore. Isn't that how it works? Like, you just work it out of your system. Uh, thankfully, uh, our office manager was like, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to just do gluten-free bread. Like, let's just cube up gluten-free bread. So that's why it's going to taste like it does today, because it's gluten-free. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. But anyway, if you have a gluten allergy, you can love Jesus with us this morning. All, all people are welcome. Was it always like that, though? Like, did Jesus break gluten-free bread? Scripture's not clear on it. Let me tell you a story of uh, a time that I had communion. Um, it was a couple of years ago when I, when I first moved to Winston-Salem. Um, uh, a very prominent uh, person in the city died, and their funeral was at an Episcopal church here in town. First time I'd ever been in an Episcopal church. And uh, if you're Episcopal, it's okay. We make fun of everybody, including ourselves, so it's fine. Um, so we walked into this Episcopal church, and I realized, I don't know if this is uh, common, but they were having communion at the funeral service. And so I, I noticed that at the, at the proper time, like, there was a, a priest that, that came up and, uh, in a robe, and he had this big gold chalice uh, filled with wine. And I began to think to myself, man, we are doing it wrong. We make everybody have these little plastic cups, and they're getting ready to give everybody their own golden chalice to drink out of. And that's when I realized something. Everyone in the room is drinking out of the same cup. This is December. It's a December funeral, okay? So everybody in the room has probably already got the flu, okay? <laughs> so I noticed this priest is everybody, get, and he has a white cloth in his hand. Now, and he's wiping it every time that somebody drinks it out of. But can I, can I just tell you something? I don't care what's on that white cloth. Like if it's the strongest bleach that man has ever created. Like 
It is not getting everything off of that cup for people to observe. Can you like, I am not drinking after all of y'all. Okay, I'm just not doing it. So I was getting nervous because I was with some people and I was like, are they going to do communion? Like, is it going to be weird if a pastor doesn't do communion? Like, are they going to be weirded out by that? And so row by row, this guy, he's taking these little pieces of bread, this priest, and he's taking these little pieces of bread and he's, he puts the bread in everybody's mouth. And again, I've never seen this before. I've never been a part of that. I'm like, when's the last time he's washed his hands? I am worried, man. He's touching my bread. I'm worried about it. And so i got to make a decision. Am I going to take communion? Like, am, am I going to do this? And row by row, people are standing up, going to the out, and they're going to communion. And finally, it's my row. Like, shoot, what am I going to do? So I started thinking. I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm a pastor. I can come up with a spiritual thing to say when it's my turn. I, I, can't, I just can't do it. I don't want the flu. I don't want to drink after hundreds of people. I'm just not down with this. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying. It's, it's my turn next. I walk up to this priest. I kid you not. I, I, I speak for a living and I could not find the words to say. He, he handed the, the, the cracker, the wafer out, and the only thing that popped into my mind at this holy place offering communion, he holds it out, and I'm like, nah, dude, I'm good. <laughs> Shoot. Really, Nathan? <laughs> the guy behind me is like, he's going to hell, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I wonder what he does. And I go to the wine, I'm like, nah, dude, I'm good. I'm <laughs> I'm just going to keep you. I'm just, I'm just here for the funeral. Um, is that how we do it? Like, is that how communion is? Or is that, the, is that how they've always done it, and we're just doing it wrong? Um, so I began to research this, this idea of communion, and, and uh, come to find out this is, this is not how anybody did communion at all uh, for a really long time. Not the early church. Like, like this is like relatively new thing that we're doing here and that they did at the Episcopal Church and maybe that they do at the Catholic Church or wherever you've had communion before. Because uh, interestingly enough, communion used to be a big meal. Um, in fact, the, the, the first account of communion is, is actually called the Lord's Supper. He is sitting around with his disciples and they're eating an entire meal together. And they're enjoying each other, the company, hanging out, socializing. And then it says, at the end, Jesus then picked up some bread and broke it and, and passed around some wine. So, so traditionally speaking, um, throughout the New Testament, the majority of it, people would gather as the church and they would have a big meal. I mean, I'm talking about like a, a feast. And do you know who messed that up? This church in 1 Corinthians. This messed up church that we are talking about blew it for all of us. When you put that gluten-free piece of bread in your mouth today, I want you to remember, if it weren't for the church at Corinth, we could be eating steak right now. We could, it could be a huge spread, be a great big party. But here, these people blow it for us. This messed up church takes things out of control, blows things out of proportion, and Paul has to address it. Now, I've been looking forward to this passage because even from the very beginning, I've been, we've been kind of teasing this text even in the video. We, here's what happens in this church. People show up to communion, and they drank so much, they ended up getting drunk at the altar. Like, that's a messed up church, right? I mean, they're just so, they, they want to drink it so much and so often that over, over a period of time, like, other people are coming into the church to observe communion, and like a bunch of the church members are just, they're just lit, like, everywhere around the communion table. It's like, what is going on here? And Paul finds out about it. Paul finds out and says, listen, I, listen guys, i got to address something here. This is a problem. We have to fix this. 
I got to address some issues here. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, Paul uh, undoubtedly has to lower the boom, drop the hammer on them after these stories of Christians, people that claim to follow Jesus, showing up at church, getting drunk at communion. Come on, people. What's going on here? This, this is what he says, chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. You know, you know that's a messed up church. When the pastor has to look at him and say, you know what? I, I actually think it's worse when we have church than if all of you sinners would just stay home. Like, I, I'm really, I'm thinking about canceling it because you guys are blowing it so bad. It's almost as if it would be better for you to stay home. And for us to say, as a church, we're not doing communion anymore. No, we're not doing it anymore. You guys have blown it so bad. Like, that's a, that's a tough spot for Paul to have to, to talk to this church about. Verse 18, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But, of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval would be recognized. If we're not careful, like we'll miss that because we'll just kind of read on through the communion. Here's what Paul is saying. Divisions, arguments, people inside the church that may or may not get along, it's normal. That stuff happens. He's not saying you're a messy church if you have problems. You're a messy church if somebody says something that hurts your feelings or somebody does something that you don't like or the pastor does or doesn't do something. like That's, that's not it. That's not what makes a messy church. I understand that we will have problems and disagreements. Here's what Paul says. How you handle the problems is going to show whether or not you really believe what God says. He says, during those times where there is division, the people that really know and trust God will be distinguished from everyone else based on how they respond. When someone in the church or someone outside the church criticizes you, says something to get on your nerves, accuses you of something, lies about something, whatever, and you don't like it, here's what Paul's going to say. It's kind of like a jab to the people that are not responding correctly and kind of a high five and a wink to the people that are. He says, some of you will get offended, you'll get mad, you'll leave, you'll bad mouth, you'll complain, but then others, when you have a disagreement, when someone does something that you don't approve of, when someone does something or says something that hurts your feelings, you are going to take the high road. And that's how we'll know if God has really changed your life, how you respond to others. Not a lack of disagreements or a lack of problems, but how you, how you actually respond to it. The divisions among you so that you will know who's been approved by God, by their response, who's really on, on Team Jesus here. So in, in 18 and 19, he lays out, disagreements are inevitable. How are we going to handle it? How will we respond to people that we don't like, that aggravate us, that frustrate us, that say things that hurt our feelings or, or accusatory or some negative nature on that behalf? Keeps going in verse 20. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. I love this in verse 22. What? Like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to ask myself, like, what did Paul look like when he wrote that? Right? Was this right after? Like, was there somebody in the room and he was like, what? 
Like, did he pick up his, like, ink pen and quill and, like, throw it up against the wall? And he's like, what? Is he reading about the church getting drunk at communion? And he's like, what? Like, how does he say that? Maybe I spent a little too long on that word this week. <laughs> what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Here's what Paul says. Here's the way it works. Um, in, in the first century, people would work every day, and they would get paid at the end of the day, right? So there was no Sabbath. There was no day off. People worked seven days a week, even when the church gathered. And so when the church had communion, they would oftentimes, uh, many, many of the people in the church would not be able to gather together to share this big meal until the end of the day. Because when you get paid at the end of the day, the money that you get basically pays for the food that you eat the very next day. So if you skipped work to go to church, you wouldn't have any money to eat the next day. So these people would oftentimes, majority of the church, would work all day on Sunday, get paid, and then they would come to gather together to enjoy this meal together as a church and celebrate communion. Everyone did that except for the rich people in the church. Now the rich people in the church didn't have to work. They could show up early in the morning and party all day, right? They didn't have to go to work every day. They weren't worried about money. They, they weren't like in a bind financially. So here's what some people in the church would do. They would show up really early in the morning, 8, 9 o'clock, and they would lay out all the food, and they would, like potluck style, they would put out all the wine. Here's the problem. At 8 o'clock, they'd start eating. They would start eating and drinking. All day they would eat and drink. So you can imagine by the time the rest of the people showed up in the room after you had been eating and drinking hard all day, you can imagine the scene inside this church. Here's the other thing. The rich people would eat all of the food. They would drink all of the wine so that when the majority of the church would show up, there would be nothing left. And Paul looks at him and is like, guys, are you, are you serious? What, what about the poor people? They can't afford any of this. Are you going to eat it all? What, what, about, what about the people outside of our church that are, that are hungry, that are hurting, that are dying, that are looking in the walls at what's going on? What, what do you think these people think when they come in at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and you're already lit? Like you've already been drinking for hours. What do you think that says? Come on, man. Like communion is not a frat party. Communion is not about just you coming in and drinking all the wine and eating all the time. Like, can't you just do that at home? Man, if you just want to eat and drink, stay home. Don't even come up here and celebrate communion. Here's what we, we, we learn and we realize from Paul in this statement. He says, man, the, the meaning behind this right here is a big deal. This is not just a, a meal. This is not just everybody swing by and get a little cup and a little piece of bread and, and eat it and then just go home. Like There's some significance behind this. And Paul even goes as far as to say, hey, if you can't get that, then don't do it. I would rather the church not even celebrate this as opposed to having the wrong attitude about it. Not knowing what this really is. Not knowing the importance and the significance and what this stands for. So guys, like if the story is true that you guys are just coming in and disrespecting it, then just don't do it. 
And because of this passage, because of this church, communion as we know it was totally revolutionized. The church no longer did large meals together. They no longer ate and drank and enjoyed one another's company for a full day. They changed it to simply bread and wine or bread and juice. Because of this, how would you like to be known as the church that canceled all of the eating? The church that couldn't get it right and now it has changed the face of communion for thousands of years. That was this church. Paul says it is so serious what we are getting ready to do. That if your mind and heart are in the not, and not, not in the right place, then just don't do it. Just go home. Don't even come to church today. Because for Paul, this was a big deal. This was significant. This really meant something. Not just for the church, but for the people outside of the church that observed the church as they did it. And so we're getting ready to, to take communion together today. And I just want to just give a short prayer because I want to make sure our hearts and minds are in the right place. I don't want Paul to, to, to I don't want our church to look like this church that Paul describes. Like, guys, if, if you're not going to take it serious, don't do it. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about canceling the whole thing if everybody has the same heart and attitude that you have. So I just want us to spend just, just a moment of reflection, just a moment getting our minds right and our hearts right before we take this communion. Here's what Paul says in verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to remember exactly? Jesus repeated that often during communion, and, and we see it in Scripture. He said, do this and, and remember me. What are we supposed to remember? Well, one of the things in, in these verses, this phrase that I want you to pay attention to, that I believe Jesus wants us to remember, he says, my body, this is my body broken for you. One of the things we remember when we take communion together is the pain that Jesus went through. And I'm not talking about remembering the pain like feeling sorry for him or showing pity to him. The the, the key is in the phrase, my body broken for you. My, My body broken for you. My body broken for you. I can imagine how confusing this would have been for Jesus' disciples because Jesus is sitting around a table saying, like, someone has to die for this. Someone's body has to be broken. Like, someone is going to undergo a tremendous amount of pain. And the disciples are like, who? Because it, Jesus, it can't be you. You've never sinned, man. You, you don't need a Savior. I, who, who is he talking about? Is it one of us? Like, what, what is going on? And when you say your body is broken for you, like, what, do, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, you know what, you're right. I, I, I don't need a Savior. I've not sinned. That's why my body must be broken for you. You see, the pain that Jesus underwent, that was your pain. That was your suffering. That had your name on it. That's consequences for your sin. Jesus didn't mess up. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus didn't need a Savior. So all of the pain, all of the brokenness that we should have faced 
Jesus begins to break that bread in front of his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Your pain, I'm taking it on your behalf. Can't even imagine that. Those guilty, sinful disciples sitting in front of the perfect man of Jesus. And he looks at them and says, I'll take the pain. I'll take the consequences for you. So every time the bread is broken, every time we take that, we remember the pain. Not pity, but the pain that Jesus took on our behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Now, Jesus started talking about a sacrifice. Now, this was not uncommon, especially in this culture. People sinned every day, and if you were a man or a woman of God, the consequences of sin was death. And so people would take animals of all different kinds, shapes, and sizes, and they would bring them every day to the temple, and they'd be sacrificed. The rule was, God laid out the rule in the Old Testament, some blood had to be spilled, some life had to be taken to cover for your sins. And so when Jesus said there's going to be a sacrifice made, the disciples would have been like, well, yeah, of course. We, we always sacrifice when we're together. It's for the forgiveness of our sin. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's some blood that will have to be spilt. And they're like, I, we get it, right? Is it going to be a dove? Is it going to be a, a lamb or a ram or a cow? I don't know. What, what's it going to be, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, see, this one's going to be different. We're going to do a sacrifice one time that will cover all the sins of humanity. Not you having to go to the church every day and sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of your sins. But one man having one sacrifice to cover for all of humanity. And the disciples are probably like, who? Who's that going to be? And Jesus says, it's me. No, but Jesus, you're perfect, man. You, oh, you haven't made a mistake. Why, why you? Why would you have to bear the brunt of it? Why would you take the fall? Why would you... Give your life on someone else's behalf. You say, you don't understand. It's a new covenant between me and God. It's a new covenant. The only thing that will allow you access to the Father is a sacrifice that can cover your sins. And that sacrifice is Jesus. And he says, so my blood will be spilt. My body will be broken. So when you do this, remember that. Remember that instead of you being sacrificed. It was the Son of God. It was Jesus who took your pain, your sin, your shame, your shortcomings, and through one final act on the cross, reconciled your relationship with God. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. Here's my favorite part. You ready? Until he comes again. Boom. 
Communion is not just recognizing that Jesus died. Communion is a reminder of what happened to Jesus' body on the cross. But don't forget three days later. Don't forget that God not only offers you forgiveness and changes your life now, but because of what he did and raised from the dead, he alters our eternity forever. So Jesus says, hey, remember, I understand, let's, let's remember the sacrifice, let's remember the pain, but every time we take this, we're reminded of the freedom that we have, the salvation that we have in Christ. That one day he comes back, that one day our eternity is altered forever. God changes your here and now, and he also changes your eternity because of this. Because of what he did on the cross and what he did three days later. He said, every time you do this, remember that, but also remember, Jesus wins. He's coming back. He defeated death. He alters our eternity, and that is a message of hope. That is a message of salvation. And when Paul says this is not only about us in here, but it's about people outside, saying if Jesus can do that for you, then maybe he can do it for me. If Jesus changes your now, maybe he can change my now. If Jesus can alter your eternity, then maybe there's hope for me. And every time we do this, we remember the hope that we have in Jesus and the real reason that we have to celebrate as a church.